podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And with no game to report, uh, I wasn't quite sure what we were going to talk about. But all of a sudden, UEFA pop up and give us something to talk about. Um, I'm not going to do smart introductions because I want to get on with the debate. I've got in the studio with me three guests and on the phone a very special guest. So in the studio, first of all, my old mate Steve Cox. Hello. We've got Stuart Brodkin. Hello. And we've got Tony Newgrosh. Hello there. And on the phone, a very special, special guest who was described as the best forensic brain in this scenario. A very warm welcome on the phone to a Presswich Blue, Colin Savage. Colin, welcome. Oh, right. That's a very flattering introduction. I won't tell you who said it. but I'm not, he, sure. I'm not sure it's accurate. Uh, his, his initials are Stuart Brodkin, but there you go. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I'm not an expert on this, Colin, and, and you certainly are, my friend, and you, you've been busy the last few days talking to all sorts of people. Uh, delighted you could give time up to talk to the Man City show. Can we start with your view of exactly what is it that City have done wrong? What are we being accused of? Uh, who knows? Uh, because the, <laughs> the charge, the charges aren't very specific, uh, and they seem to be overstating our sponsorship revenue and uh, being a bit beastly to UEFA. Uh, that's what it seems to boil down to. I mean, it's like aggressive walking, isn't it? Being sent up with aggressive walking. But so I, I don't know about the level of cooperation because obviously uh, I have not been involved in the in the discussions between City and UEFA. But in terms of overstating our income, I think. What they're getting at is this issue whereby, let's say Etihad have been paying us £60 million a year or £50 million per annum as part of their sponsorship arrangement. It came out in the Despegal leaks that Etihad were only funding uh, £8 million of that out of their own resources. So obviously the other £42 million, if we take £50 million as a base figure, was coming from someone else. Now the question is, who was it coming from? Was it coming from Sheikh Mansour's own pocket or was it coming from... Well, well, somewhere somewhere else other than Sheikh Mansour's own pocket. Uh, and that's quite an important distinction because um, owner investment is allowed under financial fair play, but only to a, a certain degree. I, I won't bore you with the details. But uh, what, what I've been aware of for quite a while is that um, the Etihad sponsorship is actually funded by the Abu Dhabi Executive Council, which is like the, the their equivalent of the cabinet. So, so they're the body who run um, Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi and Etihad, and the Executive Council. In a leaked, this was a leaked presentation that was done as part of a big case brought in New York by American Airlines against the, the three Gulf Airlines, uh, claiming government subsidies. So um, a firm of consultants prepared a presentation for the uh, Crown Prince uh, of Abu Dhabi, uh, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed, and. Um, this was a note in that presentation that the Etihad sponsorship is funded by um, the Executive Council. So, so the US Airlines jumped on this and said, here's our evidence that Etihad is state-funded. Now, now, that does potentially make a difference because uh, I, I don't know how UEFA will play this, but if it's not coming from Sheikh Mansour, um, then potentially that doesn't fall foul of anything. So, Anyway, we'll, we'll leave it at that for the moment. That's what I think we've been charged with. Uh, that, <clears throat> it's a really helpful introduction, Colin. I'm, I'm looking at my guests uh, in the studio here and, and looking for a response. Is that, is that your understanding? Do you want to add anything to that? Uh, 
I think that's... No, correct. We've been accused of misstating uh, funds that have come from our owner as bona fide sponsorship income and using that additional income to state that we haven't breached the fair play limits. But it's quite extraordinary, isn't it, to be, to be charged with putting money into football and ensuring that just about every other top club is sustainable by virtue of the transfer fees they've received from us, as opposed to other clubs in Stratford who've taken out, was it, £400 million out of football. I, I just think it's bonkers. Uh, but but rules are rules, Stuart. We, I'm, I'm play, obviously going to play devil's advocate here. Big big city fan, as you know. I'm. But let me sort of play a particular role here uh, this week. Um, rules are rules, and it, and it, it appears that on the surface that potentially City might have bro- bent or broken those rules. Is the charge? Well, we are we have been told we have broken these rules, but <clears throat> have we been treated fairly? Have has have PSG been guilty of the same offences? And that was all sort of you know. They were cleared, basically, or they were. They didn't uh, go ahead with the with the charges, and they have someone on the board of the of the UEFA uh, outfit. We haven't. Uh, could that be a plank in our in our defence that we've been treated, you know, disproportionately and unfairly? And in terms of our defence, Steve, where where do you think City can start? Then, what are your views and reflections on how we can start to rebuff some of these charges? I think, <clears throat> from what I know of it. It would appear that City believe UEFA haven't considered all of the evidence that they've proffered to try and clear themselves. They've, you know, they, they appear to have been somewhat selective in what they've chosen to, to look at. That's, that's the first part of it. I also think that there's a, a big call towards due process being followed here. The sort of sanction was broadcasted way ahead of the investigation sort of starting or concluding um, and I'm not sure that UEFA have actually followed their internal process which if that does go to the court of arbitration that could be one of the defences that City actually uses to um, try and overturn or reduce the sanction that's been proffered by UEFA. Uh, Colin, we do have a bit of history, don't we, of course, going back to 2014, of course, May 2014, City were fined, I think, was it £49 million by UEFA for breaching FFP rules back then as well? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this, this all relates, again, there's been a lot of misunderstanding in the media, this all relates to that period, the first two years uh, that FFP was in, uh, brought into action, so that's 2011-12, 2012-13. Normally, FFP runs on a three-year cycle, but that first assessment was for, for those two years. Now, and to, to give a little bit of context, we were relying on a provision within the uh, regulations that would allow us to escape fail FFP, but escape punishment. Now, again, that, that could take up a whole podcast explaining that, <laughs> but um, UEFA had a provision in their rules that um, clubs that had overspent on wages but based on contracts they'd taken out before FFP had ever been thought of, uh, would be able to claim that in mitigation. Uh, and, and they published a very precise calculation of how to work out whether you were able to do that or not. After we published our 2012 accounts, they suddenly, uh, which met the, the first of the criteria you needed to meet, UEFA then changed the criteria so the 2012 accounts were outside the criteria. But at the time, we were trying to shove a load of money into 2013, 2012-13's revenue. And, of course, we sacked Roberto Mancini in that season. And we paid him out straight away. So I think we paid out something like $20 million, maybe more, to, to him and um, his coaching team, because that was the agreement we'd come to with him when he signed a new 
contract. So everything relates to that period. Uh, and of course, the settlement agreement was concluded in uh, May 2014, May the 16th, to be precise. And that's when UEFA went live with that. They published the sanctions on their on their website, and of course, it hit the media. Now, what's happened here? I'm not sure people are aware of this. Is UEFA have a five-year statute of limitations, meaning they can't bring charges five years after uh, an original breach. They can't reopen a case more than five years after an original breach. And the case file was passed to the higher adjudicatory chamber on the 15th of May 2019. So that's one day before the deadline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can read. Now, so, in fact, if any of you know Stefan Borson, you, you may, some of you may know Stefan. He's a city-supporting lawyer, if you don't. He did a podcast today, uh, and he went into great depth about this. And he said, it's very arguable that um, we could say, actually, 16th of May 2014 wasn't the right cut-off date, and it should have been earlier. Perhaps it should have been when we published our 2013 accounts, or perhaps it should have been when we agreed with UEFA, or when they opened the original investigation. But the 16th of May 2014, a very crucial date, that is the latest date uh, UEFA are relying on in their uh, ability to bring this charge. And in fact, it works on two levels, just to pick up what you were talking about uh, earlier. There's a, there's a low-level technical process and procedure argument. So what, what's the statute of limitations? Have, have UEFA met their statute of limitations? Have they brought it within the five-year deadline? I, I'm sure we'll argue about that. Uh, and the second is, have they breached their own settlement agreement with us? Uh, which presumably would have said the matter was closed because they monitored us up to 2016, and then they signed us off, basically, as, as fit and proper. Now, uh, under that agreement, possibly, as Stephen, the point Stefan was making was, they can only look at anything after 2016, which, uh, which we were probably clear. But they're only looking at 2000, up to 2016. So that's one level on which we will probably fight at CAS. But I think, as you all know, when you go to court, there's not guilty and there's not guilty. So there's not guilty when they've got the wrong person and you're clearly quite innocent of the crime. And there's not guilty when there's been a technical failure to handle the evidence correctly or, or some other form of um, documentation. And the other thing I think is, uh, and Steve, I know you've got a view on this, in terms of talking about internal procedures and, and where evidence has come from and so on, you're going to a court of law. Um, I think, City, you feel have got quite a strong case, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um if you if you ever haven't followed their own protocol and they certainly haven't followed their own precedents certainly from the knowledge i have of doing industrial tribunals and employment law tribunals judges take a very very dim view if you haven't followed your own process and procedures if you're stating a process but you have to follow it and uh, colin's points that he's bringing up there are very very valid and those dates could be very crucial as to whether we, we're guilty or not guilty as colin says <laughs> Sure. I, I thought Steve was going to talk about the hacked or stolen emails. Well, that's the other issue, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in a, in a court of law, they are not allowable. But UEFA is not a court of law. They have their own rules which accept that hacked or stolen emails are admissible. So on, that, on those grounds, you know, we might struggle. But, you know, this guy that uh, hacked these emails was offered them... Uh, for money, presumably Der Spiegel paid him money for these emails, so he's a criminal. 
in that sense, and he's awaiting trial at the moment in Portugal, and he's in prison. Uh, but it may not help us, you know. Sure. Uh, Colin, something I'm interested to, again, I'm sure you have a view on this, and that's the whole sort of the, the powers of the Court of Arbitration for Sports, as sort of CAS or CAS as we call them. What, help us understand a bit more about what actual powers they have, because obviously they're, they're separate to UEFA, aren't they? And, and, and it's not, a, as I understand it, it's not a court as such. So just help us understand, if you can, exactly the powers that they have. Well, I'm not, I'm not a legal expert, I'm not an expert on, on CAS, but um, they are an arbitration service. So the way they work is there will be three people sitting in judgment on the case. Uh, one will be picked by us from, from an approval list. One will be picked by us. One will be picked by UEFA and CAS will appoint the third member of the tribunal. Uh, and they will look at the evidence presented to them. Now, I think, as far as I know, their remit is quite narrow. So, so they're only concern is to ensure that as, as you said before um, UEFA have followed the procedures correctly so for, they won't rule on the validity of FFP as a financial regulation instrument for example uh, I, I don't even think they'll take a view on whether our books were correct or not you know, whether it's showing the correct figures it, it, as far as I'm aware it will simply be did UEFA follow their correct processes and procedures and even if they did it's the punishment uh, befitting of the crime. So, so I don't think they can. I don't think they can actually say. Actually, it should only be one year ban, or it should only be a fine. But I think they can say to your wafer, "This is far too uh, severe a punishment for the level of offence committed. You need to go back and come up with something else, and it better be something we like." So, so I think that's that's how CAS works. Um, uh, and, and, as, and as I say, we. There's two levels to this. So, CAS, I think, will only work at the technical level. We can take that. Uh, we can take all the issues of leaks. You know, did the leaks prejudice our case? What were the dates correct? Did UEFA have the right to open the case? We can take all that to CAS. Uh, um, we can't take a case about FFP itself. So, um, but they can overturn. So, they can throw UEFA's case out on a technicality. But we've still got the issue of mud will stick, basically. So, uh, uh, you know, I do wonder what will happen afterwards. I think there's a few scores to settle here. I don't want to say too much, but I think there's a few scores that you need to settle or want to settle. Uh, and there's still the issue of people will say, oh, yeah, you got off on a technicality, but the figures are still, uh, your books are still crooked. And what about what about UA what about UA for themselves? Because there's a lot of City fans over the last few days, of course, quite rightly defending City. City, of course, we have to say right the way through have have, have repeatedly said they've done nothing wrong. They're refuting these uh, accusations very strongly, and will continue to do so. And I'm sure they'll get the best lawyers in the land uh, or on the planet to to support them in that case. Of course, so City continue to say they've done nothing wrong. What about UA for themselves? Who's got a view about them and their conduct and, and them as a as an organisation? Because it's fair to say that City fans um, certainly don't welcome the anthem, and we might come on to that a little bit later in the show in terms of various options we have when it's played against Real Madrid in a week or two. Um, but people's thoughts on UEFA themselves as an organisation, any, any thoughts and reflections? It kind of comes into sharp focus, Stuart. I think they want to keep the status quo. They always have done. I mean, we, we are interlopers into their little cartel uh, of the big teams, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, United, Liverpool, Arsenal possibly. Uh, 
you know, they want to keep that little uh, group together. They don't want anybody else breaking into that group. That's why FFP came in. Not to sustain football, but to sustain the cartel, the cabal. Um, I don't think UEFA are, are not corrupt. I think they are corrupt in various aspects of what they do. Um, are we legally okay to say that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, bring it on. We'll, we'll listen. We'll, we'll join City in court. We'll, uh, if, if, if anybody wants to take us, that's that's your view. And plenty of City fans are saying the same that that we are dealing with a corrupt organisation yeah. on on many levels. I've sure. not got an issue saying that at all. Uh, Platini, for instance. Of course, yeah. Colin. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sorry. Um, we talk about UA for as a homogeneous body, but actually, I, you know, I've come to the realization it's not. That there is a bureaucracy there, but, but it's a member. It's a member-driven organization. A bit like the Premier League is not, a, a, you know, a living entity. It's a collection of twenty football clubs. Um, with the Berry debacle, everyone said the EFL should change the rules, but the EFL is a collection of um, 72 clubs. And to get, you know, three-quarters majority, uh, no one ever wants to rock the boat or perhaps be the one, wants to be the one who falls foul of the new rules. So I think we need to look at UEFA in two ways. One is as a bureaucracy, so there's people who, who work there under uh, Alexander Seferin. And you can imagine, and certainly stuff I've heard, that he was trying to get... Um, quietly get a deal organised with City to, to um, take a slap on the wrist and, and take a small fine. He wants the easy life. You know, UEFA's got a good little number there. He's, um, he's also a lawyer as well, isn't he, Colin? I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, UEFA's got a good little number there. The Champions League is pulling in loads of money. Uh, and they don't, you know, like any organisation, the Premier League, they don't want to rock the boat. They, they don't want to get into big fights. But, of course, the, the clubs that make up UEFA... We know we've got some enemies in there, and they're driving that. Um, they're driving one agenda, and perhaps you've got uh, poor Alexander in the middle trying to keep everyone happy. So I think when we talk about UEFA being corrupt, I'm not necessarily well. You can probably make a case for the organisation being corrupt, but I think you have to see it. It's not a homogeneous living entity. It's a collection of clubs. Yes, as we've said, it's a number of clubs who are trying to protect their own interests. We've had the Spanish League, who have been proven to uh, undertake prejudicial practices, particularly with regard to their tax affairs. They've been found guilty. Platini, as we mentioned, he's been found guilty. So I don't think we have any problem saying it's a corrupt organisation. I think that's, that's beyond doubt. But this goes further than that, doesn't it? Those Manchester City accounts have been independently audited. If you were to put 10 auditors in a room, I can guarantee you they would all come to different figures because they are highly subjective. So to say the accounts are wrong or misleading, I think would also be very, very difficult for UEFA to prove. And this will undoubtedly run and run. I'm sure we've all got views, but mine would be this will be watered down to a slap on the wrist and a one-year suspension, which I suspect we can live with, and we'll all move on. And UEFA can deal with far more pressing issues like racism, which has reared its ugly head today, that they have done very, very little on over the years. So it's just a diversion and a bit of a nonsense. And as we say, personal scores being settled here, which is the saddest of it. Uh, I think there's also an issue of UEFA fear for a breakaway Super League, and they don't want clubs like City being seen to have too much power there. So... uh, We'll see how this one develops, but there's far more to it than just some uh, misstated accounts, I fear. I mean, it's all speculation because we don't know. It's interesting. You kind of almost sort of 
made out there, Tony, that a, a year's ban would be okay. I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I mean, this is all speculation, of course. Uh, people's thoughts on kind of what happens next? Clearly, they've got to move quite quickly because they want to get it all resolved before next season starts, of course. You can't have a competition starting and not knowing what the outcome might be. So your thoughts, gents, uh, starting, I don't know, Stuart, in terms of your thoughts, in terms of is it going to, I suppose there's three options, isn't there, here? Kind of keep it at two years, move it to one year, or get rid of it completely. There may be a fourth well, that we haven't it, thought of, I suppose. It could be a suspended sentence. They could say, look, you're banned, uh, you know, we've suspended the one-year ban, and if you do anything wrong, that will come into play. So we will get no ban in that case. CAS are quite quick, uh, because they realise, you know, the, 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 it's a sporting situation, and yeah. they have to know what's going to happen in the next next year's Champions League. They will, they will deal with it quickly. I have every confidence that CAS are, are, are very well equipped to deal with this and we'll get a very fair hearing and we'll have some very good lawyers, of course. Steve, are these lawyers going to get us off it completely or one year? Where do you say? I know, listen, we don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge, of course. I don't know, but what will be very interesting is if it is not resolved very quickly is how they're actually going to start the Champions League next year. Um, and I think UEFA will want to resolve it fairly quickly as well because of that. They, they may not even be able, maybe in a position where they may not even be able to continue the competition until this um, debate is settled. The other thing that's happened, Colin, of course, over the last sort of 24 hours, of course, is kind of the Premier League and, and other Premier League managers being pressed on this in terms of, well, actually, sh- should there be some points deduction? Should we look at this retrospectively? And, and therefore, some of City's trophies being questioned as well. Y- your thoughts on that, Colin? And that's kind of a fairly new development, isn't it, I guess? Uh, yeah. Um, it, Rule J7 in the Premier League handbook actually does give the Premier League, in theory... Um, the opportunity to punish clubs who have made false statements or misrepresentations in gaining their UEFA club licence. Now, that club licence is something you need to compete in European competition. So so that's kind of thrown a little bit of a, a wobbler into it. But, of course, it all depends. It's a very difficult situation because, just to go back to what we were talking about, uh, we, we need this to be resolved quickly because if, if there's a scenario where we don't get in the... We, we don't play in this season's Champions League, and we're subsequently cleared, then i not, not a lawyer, but I would imagine there would be a claim for £100 million lost revenue uh, being slapped on UEFA um, if they've falsely stopped us playing. And, of course, the Premier League will be looking at that and thinking, ooh, you know, can't do that. Will they take trophies off us? I very much doubt it. Uh, the, the, the Premier League, you know, the Premier League, and we talked talked before about organisations not what organisations not wanting to rock the boat. We've seen this Liverpool hacking scandal, and I'm I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that the Premier League put a lot of pressure on City to settle that quietly. And in fact, again, it's in the Premier League handbook that they don't want their clubs going to court. They want them to settle quiet, settle disputes between them in a in a gentlemanly fashion without resort resorting to the law. So um, again, the Premier League. Um, you know, yeah, we've got enemies there. We know the American-owned clubs, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, we know they hate us because we're, we're the polar opposite of what they stand for in American sport, where the money gets shared out uh, and everyone's on a level playing field and they all get their turn. Well, 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 football's not like that, of course. So the Premier League sure will be watching this, but A, they've got to prove we've made a false statement to UEFA, number one. And secondly, that again, they'll be... Um, 
if they want to join the battleground and, and get involved, then um, good luck to them. But I don't think they will. What about the other implications then? So let's we'll, let's make some assumptions here that say City's uh, ban is uh, is reduced from two years to one year. Just say, um, what are the implications then for kind of City in in the in the Premier League attracting players, keeping players, and so on? Anybody um, got any thoughts on on we're going to have a massive exit? Are we, Steve? And we're going to have to play the kids and all that sort of stuff. Lots of people scaremongering. No, mass like... exit. Mass exit. <laughs> I can't see that there'd be a mass exit. Um, I mean, a lot of the players are relatively loyal to City. Um, the ones I'd be worried about would be the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling are the ones that are the potential that would rip the heart out of City. But I, I can't really even see that. I think, you know, Sterling's come out and said he's not going anywhere. They'll want to play European football, Steve. They're, you know, they're at the top of their game. Why would they play for a club that's not playing in Europe? One could argue. Stuart? I don't think they care. I think they care about their pay packets. They're, they're, they're playing for a great team. They're playing great football. I don't, really, I, I don't buy this about, oh, I want to play Champions League football. I don't know what the other people here think about that, but I don't think that's a... A particularly valid point. Tony? Listen, you finish fourth, you get knocked out in the qualifying rounds, you're out of Europe for a year, and the, the world doesn't stop. Yeah. I think we would cope. And as I say, if, if it was a one-year ban, all these players, it might be in their interest to have a bit of a break. God forbid we should only win two or three domestic trophies, and then here we go again. So I think one year, I'm, I'm not too concerned about. We're the only, we've got the longest continuous run in the Champions League in the Premier League, haven't we? Is it nine, ten years now? It's losing, man. <laughs> well, OK. Um, but we're great. Let's win it this year. Not yeah, even pick up the trophy. Just do. walk off, say, see you in a year. Fantastic. What, what happens if, if CAS, say, or CAS, um, say, the ban is too much and UEFA say, we're not going to ban you at all, we'll fine you 50 million, and we then say, we're not playing in the Champions League anymore? Would that have, could that possibly happen? I, I, do you really think that's going to happen, Stuart? I can't. I was no, chucking I mean, our toys out. Stick, I think it, stick it where, where really? the sun don't shine. I don't think I, it will happen, but, what, you know. You know I think, isn't that, that in itself, isn't that going to affect our, our, our financial situation <laughs> yes, with 100, 100 million? But then we form a Super League. Well, with, that's, a diff, that's a different argument for a different day, I think, potentially. Bolton, <laughs> exactly. Um, Colin, your your thoughts then on this 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 mass exodus that we may see? It's not going to happen, is it? Uh, well, uh, you know, let's wait and see. Uh, you know, if we get banned for two years, maybe some players will decide to go. And uh, but uh, you know, I, I, I worry about that when it happens. To be honest. What about Pep then? Because, again, even before this happened, there was talk. Liverpool are 437 points ahead of us um, this season. You know, they've already got their, their bus painted and ready to go for their sort of national tour around, around the world with their Premier League trophy, first time in 30 years. It's going to be a big party on Merseyside. Um, and uh, Pep already, people were saying, even if we win something, he's, he's probably going to go. Is this going to bring that forward is that is he more likely to go or is he more likely to stay he said of course you know if we're playing in the old division two he's going to stay but he kind of would say that wouldn't he steve well, i don't know i mean there's nothing wrong with division two we've been there before <laughs> oh, <that's, laughs> we nearly won it we nearly won it once <laughs> not that long ago <laughs> i know i remember standing on the terraces watching and then watching city play barnsley oh god dreary game um no i look i mean pep Pep has got a contract till the end of next season yeah. and at the, this point in time he's, he's saying that he's staying which suggests that he's got every conf- confidence in the club actually doing something about it or that he's quite happy to stay. Yeah, he's never broken a contract in his career, ever. 
Yeah, I take him at his word. And I don't think it is a crisis. As I say, losing at home to York, that's a crisis. Missing out on Europe for a year, well, so be it. But what about recruiting players then? So, so we've talked about Pep, and we all think he's probably going to say, Colin, Colin, your thoughts on, on that, that if we are out for a year, that must presumably give us a bit of a challenge sort of in the past we've always attracted the world's greatest talent being out of europe could that affect that well it could of course yeah because players want uh, european football the top players want european football the sort of players we're looking at these days but but you know uh, people have been talking about um will players come if they don't know pep's going to be there for um you know three or four years even before this happens so um you know there's always just puts and maybes we, we attracted players like Yaya Torin, David Silva before we were established as a club. So um, I'm, I'm sure knowing where we are now as a club, even a year or two out of Europe might not be as big a bar to recruitment as we uh, think it might be. So let's look forward to this game against Real Madrid. And I'm really looking forward to the anthem being played. And obviously we've got a number of options, a number of them have been sort of around social media today in terms of what do we do? Do we boo it? Um, do we sing Blue Moon? Do we do the Poznan silently? You know, three or four different options. And I'm just interested in, in your view of, of, of where you sit. T- Tony, so uh, there we are. Real Madrid, Manchester City lineup. what is it, a week on Wednesday, is it? Um, at the Etihad. And uh, the anthem blasts out, what do we do? Oh, it's going to get booed. It's going to get booed Big time. And will you be joining in that boo? 100%. Yes. So you're a booer. Okay, oh, yes. so, so Tony is a booer. Stuart Brodkin? 100%. 100% booer. Were you a booer before anyway? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Here we go. We're going to get three out, three out of four. Cause I you're, should you're, be you're... playing a trumpet as loudly as I possibly can. <laughs> Do you play the trumpet? No. It's going to be horrendous. Uh, so here are Colin. Oh, we got four out of four. Is it a boo or do we need to be a bit more grown up about this and come up with a different tactic? But I, I'm not actually. I'm not going to be there because I um, messed up a little bit in getting a ticket. I'm, I'm not on the Champions League scheme. Oh right. I thought, oh, the prices they're charging, it'll, I'll, I'll get one near with the time. I didn't quite know if I was going to be available on the night, and uh, of course it sold out very quickly, much to my kind of shock and horror. So I'll be booing at home. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, listen, is there anything before we move on? Because there are other matters sort of going on, uh, uh, kind of on the pitch as well. Any other final thoughts, um, Colin, from you? And any other final thoughts about this that maybe we haven't talked about that you think is important that our listeners should hear and we should discuss? Oh, where do you start? I mean, um, I think given the you know we've got to finish sometime before a week on Wednesday. This podcast. Um, <laughs> No, just to summarise, there's still, you know, for me, there's two levels to this. One is there's the, tech, what we, the technical judicial element, where we could quite easily walk away from cars with our heads held high, in one sense, because the case has been thrown out. But there's still that, as I said, there's still that stain hanging over us. And I still think um, that the club are incensed enough. And I, I, I had the conversation with uh, Chief Operating Officer Omar Barada. The club are furious about this, absolutely furious. And, um, you know, I, I think there's still battles to be fought, so that would be quite interesting. I think they want to clear their name in every single way possible, and they want to hand out some um, schadenfreude to one or two who they think are behind this. Awesome. Thank you, Colin. Let, let's, let's talk about matters on the pitch, then. We've got two games coming up in a, in, in a handful of days. Uh, of course, we... Uh, 
we had the uh, wind and rain, um, which unfortunately meant uh, the West Ham game was off, uh, and that gets replayed on Wednesday this week. Um, thoughts and reflections ahead of that game, Steve? The mighty West Ham. Could be a very interesting game. <laughs> <laughs> I think City might come out with a point to prove, to be fair, and not because it's West Ham, but purely because they will be angry with the situation, furious at what's going on around them, and I'm sure the players will come out with a point to prove. Um, Shame three for points. West Ham, really. Three, yeah, points, three to points to prove. Yeah. I, I have a very good friend of mine, David, who's, who is a West Ham fan. He actually sometimes listens to the show. I think if he can't sleep at night, he, he sometimes <laughs> listens. And he's come up with a new statement for West Ham fans, um, which he thinks they should all start using. It. And, and, and this is, his statement is, let's get relegation done. Um, and his view very his, his view very strongly is you know all this hassle of going to City and all these games and they've got a horrendous run of games if you look at their run of games they're playing like the top seven I think in their next six games and he just thinks they should get relegation done give them the points and they can just focus on the championships next year and the championship next year and just rebuild from there so uh, that's his view from a staunch West Ham fan I don't get they've got David Moyes he's, he, he, he wins that's what he does doesn't he yeah he wins so, a lot doesn't he absolutely I mean Trophies galore. No. <coughs> well, I think it's... Sorry. I was going to say, no, looking forward to it. It'd be good to get back in the saddle, as it were, and yeah. concentrate on what we want to do, which is play football. I think this us-against-the-world situation will be beneficial. I mean, uh, what's his name? Red Nose. Is it Red Nose at the other place? He used that all the time. You know, it's a, uh, you know, a sort of siege mentality. I think that will do us good, because sometimes the atmosphere at the Etihad is not great. Uh, this might... Pep it up a bit, literally. I think you might get into trouble. We've had Red Nose over the road. We've had UEFA corrupt. I think I'm wondering what else you're going to come up with, Stuart. Get, get all, I think we're going to have to get our lawyers onto this. I have a thing. Yeah. So, Colin, West Ham, your, your thoughts as well, my friend. You're not here just to talk about uh, all the, uh, the charges against City. I know you're a massive City fan and uh, season ticket holder since 1970, what is it? 72. 72, my yeah, word. Yeah. You must have been a very small yeah. child, Colin. I was, yes. Yep. yes, yes. So th- th- um, thoughts ahead of the West Ham game? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, uh, City fans, uh, we have this affinity with West Ham, don't we, a little bit. They're, they're perhaps the London club we would have been if we were in London. <laughs> um, but of course, it's always nice to get one on David Moyes, isn't it? And, um, you know, that, 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 that one goes back a long way as well. And um, I, I, I just think we'll be fired up. Uh, what else? Uh, we seem to react very well to this sort of, um, you know, pressure, setback, whatever you want to call it, this, this tension. Uh, and um, we've not had a game for a few days, uh, well, for quite a while. We'll be hungry for red meat and, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think we'll be going at them. And then, as, as, as sorry, sorry as I'll be for West Ham. You know, I could see us getting a hat full. Well, if, if we can actually put the ball in the net. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen sooner or later, believe me, I'm sure. So, Steve, looking forward to the weekend. It's the, I think it's the 5.30 kickoff, isn't it, on Saturday against Leicester. Yes. Um, thoughts ahead of that one, then, finally? Well, Leicester, another team that we seem to do OK against in, in sort of uh, speches, and they're, they're not playing that bad this year. I mean, they, they were... I think we kind of put a little bit of a spanner in their works. When they were sort of second just above us, we beat them at their place. It's... Um, it's kind of our turn to perhaps have a go again. I, I, look, at the moment, I, I just want to see some football, I'll be honest with you. We've had a couple of weeks without it, and I just want to see us playing on the pitch and not talking about all the financial fair play rubbish that's going on behind us, really. Stuart? A win-win situation, those two games. Oh, it's a win-win, not, not the Leicester game. I thought two wins against Leicester get six <laughs> points, so we need, we need all the help we can get. Yeah, we could do with that in every We game. could. Um, Tony? 
Yeah, looking forward to it. You know, the one thing you can rely on with the Pep team is we'll never go to somewhere like Leicester and think, well, we'll settle for a nil-nil draw. So I think we two teams will attack. There should be plenty of goals and it'll be a good game of football and we don't have the pressure anymore of desperately having to win every game. Of course, I want us to win, but I want to enjoy my football again. And I've done that this season. So looking forward to them both. And yes, I think we should win them both. I see you at away grounds across the world, Colin. Will I see you at Leicester again? You're going to be there? You will, yes. You will. Excellent. You'll see me at Leicester. And yes. your thoughts ahead of that game finally then, Colin? Uh, well, that was a... T- uh, you know, the home game was a, a lot easier game than I thought it was going to be when you think about the, the very tension-filled affair we had with them in the um, title-winning title season last season. Um, you know, but, but they're a good team. It will be a tough test. And uh, I think a lot will depend on what sort of mood we're in and how we get on against West Ham, to be honest. That, that could, you know, a good win against West Ham could really put the fire in our belly and, and get us ready for that game. Well, listen, I'm I'm grateful to my four guests, which I don't say very often. Um, a huge thanks to Stuart Rodkin, to Tony Newgrosh, to Steve Cox, and particularly to Presswitch Blue, our good friend Colin Savage. And before we go, I leave you with these words from Tony Newgrosh: "We shall fight them on the alleged breaches." We shall fight them in the Etihad and away grounds. We shall fight them on the football fields, in the newspapers and on Fleet Street. We shall fight them on the alleged breaches. We shall fight them in the Etihad and away grounds. We shall fight them on the football fields, in the newspapers and on Fleet Street. We shall fight them on the unsubstantiated bills. We shall never surrender. We shall fight to the end. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.